0: Of Esther chapter 5, we have come to my favorite part of the story. I love what the Lord does in this part of the story. Please uh, read along with us in the text. There's a lot of text that we're going to be reading through, and you're going to be lost if you don't read along with us. So I hope you brought your Bible. If you didn't, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. Page 571 and We'll begin in Esther chapter 5. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I'm so grateful that uh, you've got our backs. You're the God who never sleeps, who never slumbers. The enemy thinks he's so crafty, the enemy tries to do things to destroy our lives. Discourage us. And yet, Lord, you turn the tables on. them. We trust you. We're grateful, Lord, to belong to you. There's so so much safety in that. I pray that you would bless our time tonight in your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's recap. There are two Jews living in the city of Shushan. That's the capital city, a royal city of the Persian Empire where King Ahasuerus reigns. The man's name is Mordecai. He's an older gentleman. He's one of the exiled Jews. He actually serves at the gate of the king. He's one of the security guards for the king of Persia. And though he's Jewish, he's loyal. He does a great job. In fact, Mordecai single handedly foiled an assassination attempt on the king of Persia. So he's a man of integrity. He works hard. He can be trusted. That's Mordecai. He's at the gate. Now he has a cousin by the name of Esther, she's an orphan. So Mordecai has essentially raised her up as his daughter, and she lives there as well. She's a very beautiful woman, and by amazing circumstances, by means of an empire world beauty pageant, incredibly, Esther becomes queen of all of Persia, married to King Ahasuerus in the royal city. She's the queen of Persia. And an important detail nobody in the royal court knows that she's Jewish. And nobody is aware of her connection to Mordecai, her uncle, who serves at the king's gate. So the diabolical villain in the story is a man by the name of Haman. He gets promoted. He becomes second in command of all of Persia. And you remember, as we saw last week, he and Mordecai didn't get along very well, did they? He'd go outside and meet Mordecai at the gate, and Mordecai would ignore him, would not bow before him, didn't show him any respect, he's Jewish, he's not going to do it. Haman gets upset, and instead of killing Mordecai, where he had the power to do that, he decides that he wants to exterminate all of Mordecai's people. All of the Jewish people living in the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. He's a notorious anti-Semite. And so he even actually sets a date on the calendar for when all of the Jews will be murdered. Exterminated. He sneaks this across the king's desk, sort of sneaks it in there. The king gives the signet ring to Haman, and they make it an official law on the books. On this particular date, all Jews will be killed. Men, women, children. Well, news gets out. Mordecai hears the news because it's posted all over the place. He's grieving. He's mourning. Jews all over the land are mourning. Cities are perplexed. How in the world is this going to happen? How can this be allowed? So Mordecai decides to make Queen Esther known about this. And so he gets word to Esther. He's cousin is a queen and he tells her what's going on and he says queen perhaps you've been put in a position for a time such as this you need to go talk to the king and save your people and you remember queen esther goes well not so fast mordecai you know the law of the land no one can go into the court of the king Unannounced, you can't just pop in on the king, even the queen. If you go into the king's court, unannounced, the king has not summoned you, the most likely thing that's going to happen to you is instant death. Most people, they, they go in and they get killed. If the king was in a nice mood, he might lift his golden scepter, permitting you to speak. You'd touch the tip. And then you'd be able to speak. But mostly, if people interrupted him, he had them killed. And this is the queen's problem as well. Mordecai says, I know it's risky, but you got to do it. you got to take that risk. And so when we left off last week, Esther says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Mordecai, assemble all of the Jewish people in the city and have them fast and pray for me for three days. And she says, I'll fast and I'll pray for three days. And then I'll do it. And in chapter 5, Esther walks into the courtroom of the king unannounced. It says in verse 1, now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Across from the king's house. While the king sat on his royal throne. In the royal house. Facing the entrance of the house. It cannot be overstated how courageous she was. And the act of faith that she did here. This is one of the gutsiest things ever done in scripture. Imagine going into a room. And knowing that there's probably a 95% chance that you'll be killed. But she goes in. She made herself available. Verse 2, so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, instead of killing her immediately, she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. She's allowed to live. That's a good thing, right? And the king's very generous. Hi, Queenie Pooh." I'm glad you came in. I'm glad you, what would you like? Give me your petition. Up to half the kingdom. Now, this is the Lord at work. Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So, what do you want, Queen Esther? Now, why did she go? What's on her heart? What does she want? Why did what's she trying to accomplish she 's trying to save her her people. Her request is King, save my people, but notice she doesn't just barge in and say, "Hey, look i 'm Jewish, all my Jews friends are in trouble, and Haman is a wicked scumbag. she doesn't do that. Verse four, Esther answered, "If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman." Come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Oh, that's sweet. She has a nice banquet. She invites the king and Haman. And verse 5, the king said, Oh, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. So what's your request? Well, I've got a banquet for you. So then they go to the banquet. They sit together. And then the king says, what's your request? What do you want? Verse 15. I'm sorry. Where am I? Seven. Then then Esther answered and said, my Petition and request is this, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I prepare for them, and tomorrow, what's your request? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet, king. I'd like you and Haman to come to another banquet that I'm going to put on for you tomorrow then I'll tell you. Now, why the delay? Why the delay? I think in some ways she's scared. This is scary. This is her trying to work up her nerve. This is baby steps. What she's going to ask is very important. It's a lot of consequence on that. So perhaps she's a little afraid. She's a little timid. We don't know. Or... Perhaps she's listening to the Lord. You know, she's been fasting and praying for three days. All of her people have been fasting and praying for her for three days. Perhaps she's thinking as she stands there, the timing isn't quite right. I think everyone needs to sleep on it. Whatever the case, whether she does this on purpose or it's an accident, it's awesome. And the Lord is in it. Because God is going to do amazing things that night. God is going to move some things around. Watch what he does. So tomorrow we'll meet again. Haman, the king, queen will be there. Everyone leaves For the night, let's see what Haman does that night. Verse 9. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. Haman feels like a million bucks. He's on top of the world. He's the second most powerful man in the kingdom. He's just been invited to a private dinner with the king and queen. This guy feels like a million bucks. But, verse 9, when Haman saw Mordecai... In the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Can you believe that? This guy's got so much going for him. He walks out. There's Mordecai. Mordecai ignores him. And Haman's bugged by it. It's been said you can take an accurate measure of someone's character by the size of the things that bug him. Here's a little man. He's got so much going for him. But this one Mordecai won't bow before him. He could have killed Mordecai, but verse 10 says, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the offices, the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I'm again invited by her along with the king. So he gets he's talking to his wife, gets all of his friends together in their palace. He's got the second best palace in the kingdom. Because he's second. And here he is just boasting over all the riches, all of his power, his connection to Queen Esther. He's got all of that. Verse 13: Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You know, everything would just be great in my life, he says. I've got everything. But there's this Mordecai. Verse 14. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, 50 cubits high. And in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he... Had the gallows made. The wife of Haman says, You know, you've been talking about Mordecai all this time. Get rid of him. You're more powerful than him. Squash him. Build some gallows. Go to the king first thing in the morning and request that Mordecai be hanged on the gallows. And so he says, That's a great idea, honey. Gallows are erected right outside of his house, Haman's palace, 75 feet. And Haman's intention is in the first thing in the morning, go into the palace and ask the king if he can hang Mordecai. So that's what Haman's doing that night. What's the king doing? Look at verse 1 chapter 6. That night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the books of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So the Lord again is at move, and this time he gives the king insomnia. This king can't sleep. Maybe he fell asleep for a while, or maybe he, whatever the case, he wakes up in the middle of the night. Now, in those days, there were no TVs, no social media, right, to check through. So how is he going to entertain himself? He says, well, I, go get the records and the chronicles of the history of the Persian. He, he says, some official, go get some reading material for me. Perhaps hoping that it will put him to sleep. I can't think of anything more boring than bureaucratic government mumbo-jumbo, right? But the Persians here were meticulous about recording. Everything that happened every day, every decision that the king would make, all of the events of the day, all of the different treaties and different decisions that were made. So, this is quite a record of all kinds of things. And the king says, bring that book to me. Let's read that. And look what they read. Verse 2. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, and the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Now, so check this out. You can imagine this is a pretty big book, right? It's chronicled years and years of history. In fact, I imagine a bunch of different volumes. The servants pick a volume. Now, every volume has a lot of pages in it, right? They pick a certain page. And what do they read? They read an event that took place five years prior, before there was even a Haman who's been promoted. The record of when the faithful guard who sat at the king's gate named Mordecai discovered an assassination attempt, told Queen Esther, Queen Esther told the king, it was investigated and found to be true. Mordecai, five years prior, had single-handedly saved the king from being assassinated. And here they read about it in this record. And then the king says Did we honor him? Did we promote him? No. Nothing. Nothing's here. Did we recognize him in any way? No. Did we give him a reward? No. Nothing. And so the king says, we're going to honor this guy. We need to reward him. I need to get somebody in here and help me plan how we're going to honor Mordecai. Verse 4. So the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. This is going to be a very bad day for Haman. In fact, it's going to be so bad that it will be his last day. Who's in the court? I want to honor this Mordecai. It's been five years. We never did anything. Somebody needs to come in and help me plan how we're going to honor Mordecai. Verse 5. So the king's servant said to him, Haman... Is there standing in the court? And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him. So before Haman can say, Hey, we need to execute Mordecai, the king says, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? I want to honor someone today, the king says. Doesn't give a name. How would you honor this man, Haman? What would you do? Now, Haman is so full of himself. He's thinking, who would the king want to honor more than yours truly? So, verse 7, Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor. Now I can see him going, let's see. Hmm. For the man whom the king delights to honor. What shall we do for him? Verse 8, Let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden. Which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princesses. That he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him. Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights How should we honor a man that you delight in? Treat him like a king, king bring the royal bring bring a robe that you recently wore king put it on him bring a horse that you have ridden on have the highest official in your courts publicly array him put this man on your horse and then parade him all around the square lauding him. Verse 10. I love it. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Haman... I've got to see that face. I've got to get the DVD on that one. Can you imagine the most horrified, surprised, shock on somebody's face? Where did that come from? Haman didn't know about him reading the book that night. He has no idea about what Mordecai... Out of left field this comes. So Haman... Who was upset that Mordecai would never bow before him. Now has to bow before Mordecai. Honor him. Can you see him putting, putting the robe on him? And I'll bet you Mordecai's like, yeah. Put him on the horse, parade him around. Absolutely humiliating. People knew how much Haman hated Mordecai people had heard that he had constructed gallows that night to hang Mordecai on. Absolute humiliation. And we see that in verse 12. It says, Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered when Haman told his wife Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife zarah said to him, if Mordecai before him, you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Isn't it amazing how the same people who can give advice one night, after things start to switch, can change? Everyone, as they're talking about this, Uh, Hey, there's an an unseen force at work. Somebody's coming against you, Haman. Mordecai is being elevated. Now, I'm certain that Haman started packing his bags. I think he wanted to go on an out-of-town trip, don't you? It was time to leave. Or perhaps he wanted to go to sleep. Just go to bed, forget about it. But verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Can't get out of that. They show up at the door. Time for you to go to that private banquet with you, the king, and Esther. Verse 1 of chapter 7, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. When she arrived the day before, what's your request? I want you to come to a banquet. They go to a banquet. What's your request? Can you come tomorrow to my banquet? And I'll tell you the request. Now she's asked again. And now the time is right for Esther to make her wishes known. God has set things up. What do you want, queen? Verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. We've been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. What's your request? King, save my life. Save the lives of my people. My people have been destined. It's been determined that my people are to be killed. Annihilated. Taken out. Now at this moment, this is the first time. Haman discovers that Queen Esther's Jewish. Now, can you imagine being the guy who set in motion a plot to kill all of the Jewish people, including Queen Esther? His heart is sinking, the noose is tightening. Verse 5, so King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Pointed at him right there. Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Now, the language is he's terrified out of his skull. He has been found out. Verse 7. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine, went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. King is so upset, he gets up, he can't even talk. He goes out into the garden patio. He is filled with wrath. Haman sitting there begging like a baby, showing his true character, his cowardly, before Esther. Verse 8. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, will he also assault the queen While I'm in the house? Jewish legend says that an invisible angel Gabriel pushed Haman so he fell on Esther's couch just as King Ahasuerus was coming back into the room. I don't know if that's true, but if I were an angel, I would have loved to have done that. (laughs) Timing of the Lord. Somehow, as he's pleading... He falls over the couch right as the king comes back. And it looks like he's attacking her. Can it get any worse for this dude? Actually, yes. End of verse 8. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Get this guy out of my sight. Get him out of my sight. Cover his face. Send him out. I never want to see him again. This is the king saying, this guy's out. Put him in exile. Verse 9. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, says to the king, Look, the gallows, (laughs) 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. So here, a guy says, you know, there's something else about this guy you should know, king. He just constructed gallows. He wanted to hang Mordecai on it. That's it. End of verse 9, then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. And look at verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. Isn't that cool? Okay, king, by the way, Mordecai, the one that you honored, I'm related to him. Mordecai is called into the palace. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. On that one day, Haman was killed. Mordecai takes the place of Haman to second in command. What a work! We have a God (laughs) who protects his people, amen? I thought of some verses as I was thinking about this story. Numbers says, if you do not do so, then take note. You've sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible says your sin will find you out. You know there are so many people like Haman they're they're very wicked and they're crafty and they scheme. They try to make these wicked things happen and they think they're so smart and clever. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Haman found that to be true. True. Psalm 77 verse 14 through 16 Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. You could put that on Haman's gravestone, couldn't you? He's the face for that. Again... A lot of wicked people think they can do whatever they want. They can push people around. They can treat people poorly. And they think that they can get away with it. They might get away with it for some time. But God will judge. And oftentimes, as I read the scripture and I see different examples... God will often judge a person in the exact same way that they were intending to harm someone else. Haman says, I'm going to kill Mordecai on the gallows. Haman was killed on the gallows. Listen, God is just. God is just. He's fair. And I know it may seem like the wheels of justice go real slowly, but they're going. And people will be found out. And God does, I think, judge in a way that's uh, right and equitable. You know, this last Sunday, we just started our study on, on the life of Moses. And we saw how Pharaoh and Egypt ordered the Hebrew people to kill their firstborn sons. And then the Egyptian soldiers are commanded to throw these baby infants into the Nile River. And you know what? That happened. Many Hebrew mothers lost their sons. Many baby boys were thrown into the Nile River. So the 10th plague, if you remember, is the Passover. And what did God do on the 10th plague? He killed the firstborn sons of the Egyptian people. He sent the death angel. Why? They'd killed the sons of Hebrews. And then what happens to the Egyptians later? You remember, they chase Moses and company, and they get to the Red Sea, and the Hebrews cross safely, and the soldiers try to go in, and what happens to them? The Red Sea closes. Many, many of the Egyptian soldiers died by drowning. Perhaps the very ones who had thrown little infants into a river. Listen. God sees the wickedness of man. And God knows how to turn the tables. God knows how to mete out justice. And Haman is proof. And Haman thought that he was going to do so much. Haman thought he had it all under control. 1 Peter chapter 5, right there in the middle. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Listen, the Bible is so clear on this. One of the worst sins in all of Scripture is pride. It's pride. In fact, it might be the worst sin of all. British Bible scholar William Barclay wrote, Pride is in the ground in which all the other sins grow and the parent from which all the other sins come. Pride was the sin of Satan, Lucifer. Remember what he said? I'm going to be like the Most High God. And God kicked him out of heaven. Pride. God opposes the proud. And that's a very strong word. God resists the proud. In the Greek, it's like God puts a proud man in the other corner of the ring. And God himself gets in the other corner. And he goes at it. The prideful person will be humbled. Haman was so proud, so arrogant, thought he had it all together. God opposed him. Proverbs puts it like this, Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Before honor is humility. That's an important proverb, and that's an important comma, Which side of the comma are you on? On the left side of the comma, it says if you're haughty, if you're prideful, if you're arrogant, you're destined for a fall. That's the side that Haman was on. But if you're on the other side of the comma and you're humble, God will honor you. By the way, that's the side that Mordecai was on. Mordecai's such a humble man. Look how God raised him up supernaturally. Oh, mark my words, my friend. Listen, humility has got to be one of the biggest character points in your life. God will make his people humble. If you're one of God's people, get all of that pride and arrogance and self-confidence out of your heart. God will help you do it his people will be humble. I also think of this verse, Galatians 6, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then Galatians 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will have the spirit reap everlasting life. The law of sowing and reaping is absolutely in place. It never goes away. You will reap what you sow. A guy like Haman sows to everything about the flesh and he, rep- he would reap destruction. A guy like Mordecai sowing to the good things. He gets honored. I love this. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Keep doing what's right. Keep doing what's right, no matter who comes against you. God is going to reward. My favorite, really, my favorite part about this whole story is the fact that Mordecai did that great work, did not get recognized. Did not get honored. He foiled an assassination plot. No promotion. He could have thought. What's the point? But oh how it paid off. What? Five years later. My friend listen. God rewards good behavior. God rewards faithfulness. That law of sowing and reaping. You say, well, I'm not seeing anything. Everything stays hard. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep doing what's right. Keep being responsible. I love these verses. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Maybe there's a Haman in your life. Maybe there's somebody attacking you. Making life hard for you. Because you're a Christian even. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Lamentations 3. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You're experiencing tough times right now? Don't fret. Keep seeking the Lord. Wait for Him. The Lord's good. He's good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. He's good. That one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God's got your back. You know, and there's still an enemy of God's people. Satan himself. Wanting to come against you, wanting to discourage you. Using this world system. To discourage you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're going through some hard times. Man, remember the story of Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. We have a God who does not sleep. We have a God who does not slumber. We have a God who's going to make things work out. Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God... To those who are the called according to his purpose. We see that played out in the book of Esther. Everything they went through wasn't easy. Mordecai didn't have an easy life. Esther didn't have an easy life. I don't think she wanted to be a beauty queen. I don't think she wanted to be married to the king. And go through all of that. And yet God had put all that together. For the good of his people. And so God does the same thing. Be encouraged, my brother and sister in Christ. Be encouraged. Now you're thinking, this story could be over right now, right? Sounds like a pretty good happy ending. But there's still three chapters. What's going on? Well, in the Medo-Persian law, once something was put on the books, you couldn't revoke it. You couldn't take it out. That law to exterminate all of the Jews on a certain day. Even though Haman's out of the way. It's on the books. It's still on the calendar. So what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have to come back in a couple weeks or maybe read ahead. And you'll see God continue to move to strengthen, protect, and save. His people. Let's bow our heads. Let's close it. Father, we rejoice tonight in your protection, in your protection. Lord, we know as your people, even as your, especially as your people, we get attacked on so many fronts. It's so easy to get discouraged. The enemy attacks us personally, attacks our families, jobs, all these different things to get us discouraged. Lord, we hang on to you. You're in control. You know what you're doing. And you're using everything for the good. And we trust you. Lord, I pray that as your people, no matter what, we just keep plowing forward. Sowing to your kingdom, to righteousness, doing what's right, being faithful. Trusting you for the harvest that's coming. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to ask a question. Are you protected? Does God got your back? Are you one of his people? Can you count on him to be watching you over watching over you you know if you haven't given your life to christ you're not one of his people and you could be living outside in the darkness where satan runs around seeking to destroy you need to be safe and sound in the family of god and the only way to do that is to put your faith and trust in jesus christ who died on the cross for your sins And rose again that third day. He's made it possible. He's made it possible for you to be saved. Paid the price for you. If you're not sure that you're a child of God, well, you can become sure right now. By receiving him into your heart. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to belong to you. I want to be in your family. I want to be a part of your kingdom. So right now I put my trust and my faith in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again. Wash away all my sins. Make me yours. Put your spirit in me and help me to live a humble life before you and others. to make a difference for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.